0: Who are your role models? Who are the heroes in your life that you aspire to? We all have them, those people that we seek to emulate in our lives. As a kid, I loved sports, in particular basketball. And so most of my heroes at that time were basketball players. I would play almost every day, all afternoon, pretending to be Michael Air Jordan Sure, I didn't look much like him <laughs> shooting and playing, but I would buy his basketball jerseys. I would buy posters. I would do whatever it took to make myself, at least on the basketball court, look like Michael Jordan. As kids, you know, we'd all say the phrase that was popularized when I was a kid that now, I want to be like Mike. You know, we'd say that and we'd dream. And by the end of our afternoon games, we almost felt like we were Michael Jordan. Well, the same is true in the Christian life. After I became a Christian, I started emulating other Christians. started emulating Christian heroes. It's one of the ways that new Christians learn how to live in a way that honors Christ. We all learn from others. And so this morning, I want to look at the question. It's not whether we, we follow leaders, but whom we follow and what is it that they do that we follow. Who are your role models in the Christian life? Who are the people you most admire? Who are your heroes? Which Christians should be our heroes? Well, this morning, Paul is going to set forward a portrait of a Christian hero or heroes. He is going to show us some people that we are to emulate and admire. So please turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 as we get back into Paul's wonderful letter. We'll be looking at chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. So far in the book of Philippians, we've seen that Paul is a joyful man, isn't he? <laughs> in all circumstances, that his joy was not found in his ever-changing circumstances or feelings, but in the one great permanent circumstance in his life, his salvation through the shed blood of Jesus. Jesus. So Paul could rejoice when he was in prison, right? Alone, half naked, beaten and hungry. He could rejoice when in prison, his rivals outside of prison were tarnishing his reputation and his name. And he could even rejoice at the thought of death. Remember his words in chapter one, verses 21, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Even the thought of death, Paul says, is better than life. He says, in fact, that it was better by far. So Paul could rejoice even at the thought of death. And then we saw in the beginning of chapter 2 the reason, the reason that he had so much faith was because of Christ's humble death on the cross. That Christ, God in the flesh, came to the earth Didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Becoming a servant, taking the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross for those and to give new life to those who would repent and believe. So regardless of Paul's circumstances, he rejoiced because salvation in Christ was done. Nothing could separate him from the love of Jesus. It was imprinted on his soul that God would finish the work that he started. And so now today in our passage, we continue on. Paul will give us some real-life examples of the selfless conduct that he has been calling the church to. We saw the example of Christ. Now we're going to see real-life examples. He's going to give us the portrait of two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. So that's the outline this morning. We're going to look at two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's dive into the story. It's It's a story that actually looks much like the ending of one of Paul's letters. You know, he gives his travel plans and names some people at the end of most of his letters. But in this case, he puts it in the middle of his letter after the section on Christ because it fits perfectly to illustrate what he's been talking about earlier in the chapter, qualities that Christ himself exhibited. So let's take a look at portrait number one, Timothy, and let's look at verse 19. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. So Timothy is the first one he mentions. He was discovered by Paul. He was a young man and Paul came to him and told him about Jesus. Timothy became a Christian and he had desires to go into the ministry. So they worked together. They planted churches together. They traveled together. And Paul entrusts Timothy to establish church elders and handle finances in the churches. And now he wants to send this man Timothy back or, or to the Philippians to encourage them and to receive news about them. Well, why Timothy? Why does Paul send Timothy? Look at verses 20 through 22. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul says there are a lot of people who do ministry, but there's no one like Timothy. Many want money or fame or power or glory, and there may be others who do good. But he says Timothy asks what's best for Jesus and what's best for others. It's interesting that Paul doesn't say Timothy's a wonderful teacher or minister, but that Timothy would genuinely care for them. And notice that Paul says that all seek their own interests in verse 21. Wouldn't you expect him then to say, all seek their own interests, not those of others? Isn't that what we would expect him to say there? That he is less selfish? But he says instead, not those of Jesus Christ. See so what Paul is saying is that when you are seeking the interests of the Savior, when you are consumed with the things of Jesus, your life will then echo the concerns of the Savior. The concerns of the Savior we know from the beginning of chapter 2 were, uh, was to save man and woman. And so Christ came, became a man, lived a sinless life, ultimately dying for others, for Philippians, for the church. Isn't that what the beginning of chapter 2 told us, right? We, we see it over and over again there. So what, what distinguishes Timothy, Paul is saying, is not just that he's less selfish or more concerned. What defined Timothy as the man for this job is his devotion to the interests of the Savior gave him a sacrificial concern for the church. It's too often the reverse in our experience, isn't it? We find ourselves guilty over anxiety about our own interests at the exclusion of the interests of others. I think a simple test for us is simply to ask yourself, are you Only happy when things are going well for you personally? Is your joy dependent on your personal, ever changing circumstances so that if you're doing well, then things are good? But when things are going poorly, life is bad. Is that the equation that you live your life by? Now, you can test this in what seems like a superficial way. For me uh, and Gloria, we love eating out at restaurants. We go on a date night every Monday night together, and we sometimes go out on the weekends. In fact, uh, my favorite is when we get so much food that we have food to take home for leftovers. Right? We have a box, I know I'm gonna eat the next day a good meal, and perhaps on the weekend I, I go to sleep thinking about that meal, and I wake up already tasting it in my mouth. I'm so excited to get to eat it again. And so I begin planning my attack early in the day. Trying to get to the kitchen early enough to find my prized leftovers. And so I get to the kitchen excited, open up the refrigerator. And what do I find? Nothing! It's gone! It's all gone! And I think perhaps it's those cats that live on a property. They've taken it away and had a feast together. I don't know. It's gone! And then I do some detective work, right, to find out where my leftovers have gone. And I find out that it was my wonderful bride, Gloria. She had gotten there first. (laughs) Rather than rejoicing to God that she had an enjoyable lunch, that my wife enjoyed the leftover lasagna. Instead, I explode. I get angry because I wanted the lasagna. It was mine. Even though I hadn't said anything, I had planned it. It was my lasagna. And so I get upset and I start Showing my displeasure to my wife in the nicest way I can. (laughs) Now, this seems like a superficial example. But it says a lot about us, doesn't it? Because it's all too common. It's often the way arguments start in marriages. Usually, married couples don't squabble over important issues. We do at times, but it's oftentimes these little things. Something silly we get angry because our interests were affected. Even in the small things, it's hard for us to consider others, isn't it? And to care about them. Because when our joy is based on our changing circumstances, we become the center of our universe. But it's only when God is at the center that we care about the interests of Christ. Remember when we talked about it a few weeks ago, we, I gave the equation, right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That Jesus has to, in fact, be our everything. In the little things, like leftovers, and in the big things, perhaps this plays out in even bigger ways in your life when people are suffering around you. Does, does that cause you to hurt for them and their interests? Even when life is good for you personally, so, so life for you is, is wonderful, things are going great, do you hurt when others hurt? Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Are others' interests so important that even when things are good in your life, you hurt for them, you care for them? Or this morning as you sit here, are you more concerned about your interests Are you the most important person in your life? Or are you concerned with the interests of Jesus? And I don't mean you care about people, but you care so deeply for Christ that the well-being of his church, the local church and the global body of Christ, affects you more than your personal ever-changing circumstances. Now, Timothy didn't just talk a good game. He proved it. Look at verse 22. It says that he served in the work of the gospel as a son with his father. Now the word serve there gets gets cheapened for us because it literally means slave. He has served faithfully with Paul and loved the Savior so much that he basically enslaved himself to the work of God and followed Paul. So much so that in this case, he was willing to even leave his father in the faith, Paul, Now, how many people would leave our father in jail, possibly never to see him again? I mean, Paul's release was not guaranteed. Leaving Paul would have been hard. He would have obviously faced hardship on this journey. Would he survive the trip? Would Paul be alive when he gets back? Would he face persecution? But see, we see here in Philippians and all throughout the New Testament that Timothy was was bold in his faith. He was willing to do whatever Paul asked in going to different cities, planting churches, facing persecution. What motivated Timothy to be willing to do anything? It was his devotion to the Savior that created a willingness to go where God wanted him to serve the church. It was the interest of Christ that compelled Timothy to go, to choose a life that would be proved costly. His resume gives testament to that, to his choice to go. And we'll see that both of these men, both Timothy and Epaphroditus, have a devotion to the Savior that creates a sacrificial concern for the church. Well, let's look at Epaphroditus. We'll see the same thing. Portrait number two, look at verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Well, the Philippian church had started to hear of Paul's predicament They send one of their trusted men, Epaphroditus, to bring a financial gift and to encourage him to do what he can to help him. Somewhere along the way, he gets sick. He gets sick, and some say he was probably sick for as many as three months. Philippi was almost 1,500 kilometers away from Rome. It takes a six-week journey to get there. The church Paul founded loves him. Hears that he may be dying, and so they take up a special offering. I mean, they're a generous church. So they take us up a special offering and give Epaphroditus the money and the encouragement and tell him to go take care of Paul. Because remember, in prison there's no food, there's no medical care. So Epaphroditus takes time off work and sets off on this six-week journey. Lots of walking on rough terrain, and he gets sick on the way. We don't know what he has. Maybe he gets in a coma. Maybe he's just sick in a hospital bed. We don't know. But instead, he at some point gets healed. He gets better, and he goes to Paul doesn't go back to the Philippians and say, I almost died, get someone else to go, not going back there. Instead, he goes, physically weak, presses on to see Paul and to complete the mission. He gives Paul a gift and a report, and Paul says, let me write a letter to the Philippians, and I trust you to deliver it back to them with my greetings. Now, this is a time, as we know, without cell phones, automobiles, Facebook, Twitter, Emirates, 380 airplanes. weren't around back then, there was None of these modern conveniences. Back then, finding out how people were doing took months. And meanwhile, anxiety grows. So getting news from someone was far different than it is today. When you see, when you and I serve Jesus, we're doing very important things, even if it seems simple. All your work is ministry. When you stop and think that your ministry isn't making a difference, I encourage you to press on. Be faithful with what God has given you to do. The fruit of your labor his obedience to God at the very least, but in his mercy, God chooses to use us to work in unbelievable ways, even in the simple tasks like Epaphroditus had and just delivering a letter. And this seems crazy to me because he almost died on the way to, the, to Paul and yet he takes another job, doesn't he? Takes another job doing the same journey. Now the same journey he almost died from already. Did you catch that? Paul sends him back to the Philippians with the gift. I mean, how many of us in this case, after a terrible trial, would have said, I'll never do that again. God, please don't make me go back there again. I almost died. I'm staying here. I'm weak. Get someone else to do it. But, but no, Epaphroditus listens to Paul and takes this letter on a six-week journey to the Philippians. And this letter is what we're studying today, the book of Philippians. Epaphroditus' work, his faithful work, is still being blessed today as we study this book, his faithful devotion to the church is here with us. And so that's the picture. The picture is that Epaphroditus was a layman whom we would have never heard from if Paul hadn't included this here. He served in no public capacity. He did not shepherd a flock as Timothy did. He did not take the gospel to an unreached area. He did not receive special revelation and he wrote nothing that we know of. All he did was faithfully discharge his duty by delivering a bag of money to Paul and then by looking after him and then going back to the Philippians. He was, a, he was a FedEx guy. That's what he was. He is called by Paul, at the same time he's called by Paul, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, and was identified to the Philippians as messenger and minister. We have to understand that to serve God in miraculous ways is often done in unnoticed, unrecognized ministry as much as any public ministry. He seems to be doing a delivery boy job, just taking something to Paul. And Paul is saying that this is incredible service to God. He did the task. He was faithful to the end. And we know that in that task, he faced great hardship. And yet he had faith in God to continue. He was extraordinary in the ordinary. This morning, as you sit here, you might think that perhaps your life is is ordinary, much like Epaphroditus. God's given you a task to do. But how are you with the ordinary are you being extraordinary in the ordinary day-to-day things of your life? Paul Tripp has said that life is lived in the mundane moments, right? Paul, he says, said that we don't live all of our life merely in these big moments. And if God doesn't rule your mundane or small moments, he doesn't rule your life at all. Our life is 10,000 ordinary moments, not, not 10,000 big ones. And so we see Epaphroditus was remarkable, in the unremarkable when Paul singles out this man this layman as an example to the church at Philippi where apparently some were looking after themselves and not others he was committed in his seemingly mundane work but not only that look at verse 26 for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill the word translated distressed is used of the lord's deep trouble in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was denoting emotional agony. And Epaphroditus felt these feelings merely because those in Philippi were anxious about him. Far from being gratified that he was the center of attention back home, Epaphroditus was driven to mental torment because of his worry Now, this is completely countercultural, isn't it? I mean, for many of us, including myself, I want people to know when I'm sick. (laughs) When I have a big headache, I let everybody know. I keep reminding my wife every 15 minutes that my head still hurts. I want her to feel bad for me. I want her to to go out and get my favorite ice cream. I want her to to love me and say she's sorry over and over and over again. You know, I write it on Facebook, let the whole world know, Dave Furman is sick. Help, feel bad for me. Isn't that true of, of at least some of us? We want people to feel bad for us. But Epaphroditus is utterly concerned that his sickness is causing other people pain. So he feels deeply distressed, emotional agony. Hope you see that this isn't any normal description of Paul's friends at the end of a letter. He's given us an example of men who are devoted to the Savior. We are to honor men like this. Look at verse 29 and 30. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. So while it was a mundane task, Epaphroditus hit hardship along the way. Sometimes this happens for us in the midst of our ordinary day to day work, perhaps not to the extent Epaphroditus went through. But we see that his faith in the promises of God and belief in the gospel led him to risk his life. Like, I don't know exactly what the scene was, but apparently Epaphrodites pressed on in his mission, in his journey, even at the cost of his life. He was a remarkable man, focused both on the ordinary and even in the Dire times pressed on in faith. And God's going to call some of us to do that. Some of us to even risk our lives for the gospel. In the midst of what looks like the ordinary. Devotion to the Savior, as seen in Timothy and Epaphroditus. Devotion to the Savior always creates a sacrificial concern for the church. You see that? In these two men, do you see this portrait of these two men with varying gifts and temperaments? I mean, their backgrounds couldn't be more different. One's a young pastor, one's merely a layman. But they were coming to resemble the Savior. They loved him and followed his example. This morning, does your devotion to the Savior create in you a concern for the good of others? There are many more questions we could ask, but I want to move into some specific application for what, This means for us today, and I have three things to mention. First, is be a hero. Be a hero. Like these men, each of these men reveals lives that are so caught up in devotion to Christ. They show a compelling portrait of sacrifice for others, that we are to imitate their example of their devotion to the Savior, their faith in God. We need to courageously put service before sacrifice. And I have a few questions that we might ask ourselves this week as we think about this. One is, do we dream of living radical lives for Jesus? Or do you merely want and dream of life on easy street, no hassles, a big bank account, a happy family retirement, a successful career? Or do you dream of doing significant ministry for God and making an impact in the fleeting life that we have here? Does it break your heart more that your neighbors don't know Jesus than whether you have enough money in your bank account to pay your bills this month? Are you so consumed with impacting the world for Christ in the present that you have little anxiety for what God has for you in the future? You seek to give yourself away to ministry, be willing to risk everything? How do your dreams compare with Christian heroes in the Bible? We've looked at two in this section. And how about the ones Lenny read in Hebrews 11? Did you see that that hall of fame, of faith? There in that chapter, we saw Abraham's faith led him to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to God. We saw Moses' faith to go to Pharaoh and lead his people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. We saw Rahab, once a prostitute now, fearing God, having faith that God would Provide for her if she protected the spies. These men and women of faith put service before security. We need to follow their model and be heroes for other people to follow. Be the type of person that others would emulate. Well, secondly, we need to learn from heroes. Learn from heroes. Those who care about the well-being of others and not their own the ones who are constantly seeking to do good spiritually, materially. Watch them. Watch how they act. Watch how they live. Watch how they react to their spouse in difficult situations. Talk with them. Learn Learn about them. Imitate them. And as I prepared this message this week, I realized that our church is actually full of these types of heroes. Full of Epaphroditus. Those lay people who are seemingly on the outside doing the ordinary but doing them in extraordinary ways which in turn is doing something phenomenal. I personally have learned so much from you. So many of you are are my heroes. So many of you have encouraged me spiritually by pointing me to the cross. I think of many examples. We uh, have small group leaders who regularly open up their homes and pour lives into others. I think of the large group that meets in Tom and Padmini Samuel's house and how they selflessly love and shepherd that group and pour their lives out for them. They have taught me that people have souls and they are more important to Christ than anything else we could live for. I think of the small group in Murdiff that meets where the leaders share dinner with the members each week and where Julie Plum sends thoughtful and intentional emails each week pointing people to Jesus. They have taught me that intentionality never, ce- never ceases. I think of children's ministry volunteers here at Redeemer who are often missing services to serve us, to serve my family, my daughters, your children. I think of the coordinators, Kim Blau and Chris Lawrence and Danita Jones and Dave Moran and Emma Durham, who have missed over half of our services to make sure that our kids are taken care of and loved and trained up well. They have taught me about devotion through sacrifice. And I think about our elders Our other two elders, Brian Parks and Max Stiles, who tirelessly support me in the church. They take at least five hours behind the scenes every week to meet with me, to advise me and support me in the church in humility. No young pastors I know have the benefit of two seasoned ministers who have come alongside them, two men who have planted churches before and been involved in various ministry. They have taught me about laying aside our our personal interests, and humbly supporting and even deferring to others. I think of Jerry Isaac and June Allison and others that have shown up each week at 7 a.m. at the Redeemer Villa to load up the speakers and equipment that we have up here. Every week, showing up to the house, they have taught me to be willing to serve in any way needed and to do it joyfully, to do the ordinary extraordinarily I think of the setup crew, the welcome teams, the ushers, bookstall workers who have continued to serve with joy, even after the excitement of a new church plant wanes. They have taught me about persevering in service. I think of the music team that comes up here every week. They spend late hours in the Redeemer Villa on Wednesday nights, practicing after long days of work and time with kids. I'm reminded of watching Nigel and Nicola Christensen, often driving from R.A.K. after work to help lead our church and Adrian Sampson leading the last 4 weeks in the midst of his busy schedule and I'm reminded that devotion to Christ means working joyfully unto the Lord. And I think of our offerings. Have you noticed them in the bulletin how blessed our church is because of your generosity? We set an ambitious budget last year. We set a budget and we chose this location, we hired staff, bought sound equipment, built the website before any offering was ever taken. And yet God has provided through your generous support, through your generous giving, even in tough times, you have taught me that God is more important than our money. Thank you for that. And I think of those who are sharing their faith in neighborhoods, who are bold with their neighbors. I'm reminded even this past week of one group of ladies who cook food on a regular basis for one of their local neighbors who's sick. And they share Bible stories with them. And After the last sermon, one of you told me that you took Brian Parks' sermon about the Gerasene demoniac and told it to a local friend. And they were at the edge of their seats. You have taught me that nothing is more important important than the eternal state of someone's soul. And I think about those of you who are witnesses in the workplace, who stand up for what's right in integrity and honor and proclaim Jesus in the midst of difficult work situations. They have taught me to be deliberate in my spheres of influence. And I think of the staff team as well, who have worked tirelessly doing everything we've asked them to do, even if it's not on a job description. They have taught me that it honors God to do everything without grumbling or complaining. And I think of Sally and Katie and Brian, who have quit their jobs and interrupted their personal lives to move somewhere they'd never been for six months, simply because we asked them. They taught me to risk, for God is always right. And I think of Roy Veraps, who's the administrator at our partnering church, UCCD, who has selflessly handled our finances this year and helped us, even though it wasn't a job requirement for him and even though his schedule is busy. And, and for UCCD as a whole, who have supported us and who have taught me that partnering with others for the sake of the gospel is always what's good for the kingdom of God. And these are just, just some of the heroes that I've learned from in our congregation. And there's so many more that I don't have time to mention. I'd encourage you to learn from them, learn from others around you. Our congregation is full of Epaphroditus who have gone faithfully in the ordinary and done it in extraordinary ways. I'd encourage you to learn from them in informal situations as I have, or even formal situations. We'd love in our church to see a culture of one-on-one discipleship develop, where one believer is meeting with another believer, where older Christians are meeting with younger Christians and pouring their lives out to them. So I'd encourage older Christians to initiate those relationships with those around you. And I'd encourage the younger Christians in our midst to be humble enough to ask more mature Christians to help them, to to teach them. Follow them around as a younger believer. See how they treat others and how they talk about Jesus. I'd also encourage you, as you learn from heroes, to learn from dead heroes. Dead heroes have been some of the most encouragement to me as I've read biographies and heard stories of God's faithful men and women. I'd encourage you to check out the book stall after the service. Sam Matthias brought in several good books including many new biographies this week. We're having a sale um, to get those into your hands. I'd encourage you to go read about Christians who have gone before us. We recommend all the books that are there so, so go and take them and read them. I think one of the best things that we can do in our Christian life is to learn about those faithful who have gone before us. So learn from heroes. And thirdly, and finally, follow the ultimate hero. All the heroes that we mentioned in Philippians and in Hebrews 11 and in our church all point to the ultimate hero, Jesus Christ. The portraits of these heroes are not ultimately about them, but about Jesus He is the only one that lived the perfect life and the only one that can transform us. I mean, each and every one of us fall farther short than we would have ever imagined. But Jesus Christ lived the perfect life and he lived up to God's criteria of success. He went to the cross and took our reprehensible wickedness upon himself. He took our moral failures upon himself and God's wrath upon himself and died for us that we might be found pure and blameless in Christ if we would only repent and believe. At that moment when we do repent and believe, he gives us a new heart, gives us a new life. I'd encourage you, if you've never turned from your sin and believed in Jesus, I'd encourage you to do it today, to follow the ultimate hero who so loved the church that he sent Jesus to die. For the Bible says that this is the only way to God, the only way to spare yourselves of judgment. And it's the only way that we can share in Christ's devotion to the Father and have a sacrificial concern for the church. I pray for us as a church that our view of Jesus, that our view of him would transform our interests so that the church he died to save, we may now gladly live to serve. Maybe go forth in faith. May we go forth in faith In Christ's promises for us, and let our devotion to the Savior create a sacrificial concern for Redeemer Church of Dubai and the world. Let us pray. Father, we confess our selfishness and our lack of devotion to you and our lack of concern for this church. Help us today to care for you and your interests that it may transform this church. We would carry each other's burdens and love our brothers and sisters in a way that displays Christ to the world. May we be marked by our devotion to the Savior. And may you use us like you did Timothy and Epaphroditus. May you use us like them, and the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, to care for your church. Father, Give us faith to be devoted to you wholeheartedly this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.